0: Therapy is a great way to talk to an unbiased third party who can help provide clarity around issues in your life. Unfortunately, there's a lot of stigma around therapy and many myths that hold people back from getting the help they need. In this episode, learn more about what to expect in therapy, how to find a therapist, and why you can get help at any time, even if you're not in a bad place. And if you are in a dark place, therapy can help you see the light. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. Thank you so much for listening to The Mental Health and Wealth Show. This is host Melanie Locker. And first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are brave and amazing for being here. Getting ready to listen to a show about mental health and money is not easy. And I know you are ready for these amazing conversations. But before you listen, I want to let you know that all of my content is based on my own personal experience with mental health and money, as well as the experiences and expertise of my guests. I'm not a mental health professional or a financial professional, so content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. So if you're currently in distress please get in touch with a professional by texting home to 741-741. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. Before we get started with the next episode, I wanted to wish you a happy new year and tell you about the mental health and wealth challenge. I'm hosting the free mental health and wealth challenge from January 11th to January 17th. It's one week long and you can transform your money and mindset in just 13 minutes a day. Interested? Check out the link in our show notes. Welcome to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, we are going to be talking about a super important topic, one that is near and dear to my heart, and that is therapy. I'm going to be chatting with Cecile Ahrens, who is the owner and clinical director of Transem Therapy, Inc., a private practice providing individual relationship and group counseling. She is a bilingual, bicultural psychotherapist with over 20 years of applied experience. She specializes in PTSD, trauma, anxiety disorders, mood disorders, relationship issues, relationship issues, domestic violence, and women's issues. She does a lot. Cecile is the creator and co-host of the Get Mental Radio and podcast hosted on Facebook Live with co-host and motivational speaker T. Smith. So she clearly does a lot, and we're super excited to have her here.
1: Welcome to the show, Cecile. Thank you so much. It's my honor to be here and to help you spread the, the word and the love on mental health. I'm all about mental health awareness, so thank you for having me. Yes, I'm super excited to have
0: you because this is an episode that I have been wanting to record for quite a while, and that is about therapy. I know a lot of people now with the pandemic might be considering counseling for the first time because right now we are in a mental health crisis. You know, a lot of people yes. like me yes. who are therapy veterans, I mean, I've been in and out of therapy for 15 years. I went consistently weekly for three and a half years um, a couple of years ago to very recently. And I'm such a proponent of therapy because having a third party that is not your friends, not your family, can really give you that unbiased insight to help you think clearly. And really what I got out of therapy was the ability to see things in a different way. You know, we're all kind of culturally conditioned to think certain things or to have patterns. And when you have someone from the outside say, but this is an option as well. And in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, I would have never thought about that ever. And so therapy can be so useful for so many people. And I wanted to do this episode to really talk about the nitty gritty about therapy for people who might be new to it or they're just dipping their toes in the water. So let's just start and say,
1: what are some of the myths about getting therapy? So one of the myths that is my least favorite is that people are sick, crazy, or ill. You know, that somehow there's something inherently wrong with you or that you have to be really unstable to get mental health support. So that's the number one myth.
0: Totally. I love that because I think there is this kind of stigma that, yeah, you're crazy or you have to be sick to go to therapy. And what's wrong with you? And, you know, I talked to another guest, Jenny Manpa, just a few episodes ago, who talked about going to therapy just because, just because she wanted to reach that self-actualization, that kind of higher level and really kind of get rid of this idea that you just have to go to therapy because you're in crisis. You just have to go to therapy when things are bad. You can go to therapy when things are going well to kind of fine tune um, anything you're going through, you know, really reach that next level. And I think that's a huge myth that is holding people back because they might not think, oh, well, I'm not doing that bad or I'm not super depressed or I'm not suicidal or my relationship isn't that bad. You know, I... Uh, Went to couples counseling a few years ago and unfortunately it was a little bit too late for our relationship and it subsequently ended. But you know, Mm -hmm. that was a case where counseling was too late. And so I think people can go earlier before there's an issue
1: before things get worse. Yeah. And it can be preventative. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and that's why destigmatization is so key. If we really want to break that cycle for us, our society in waiting too long before you get help. Right. And to your point, you don't have to have anything particularly stressful or serious that you want to work on in therapy, you could just be psychologically minded, and growth oriented, and just want to keep you know, getting better and getting healthier. The problem though, is our insurance system isn't designed for that. So the people who are psychologically minded and can't afford a therapist end up not getting help. Whereas people who are psychologically minded and have the resources and have the money to pay out of pocket, they tend to have unfortunately, an advantage, right? But if we need to change our insurance system, talking about desigmatization, so that people don't need to seek help based on the severity of their symptoms. And with insurance, we also have to diagnose somebody, we have to give them a diagnosis in order for insurance to pay. And some people don't need criteria for diagnosis. Some people just want to kind of talk about stuff and are not, you know, there's no diagnostic, uh, problem, so to speak. So that's one of the issues. But if you can't afford it, if you have resources, please don't wait, you know, go in and talk to a therapist earlier on in the pain cycle, so that it doesn't get worse. Because usually the longer you wait, the more issues you start to have, you create more or new problems outside of the original problem.
0: That's so crazy. I actually just learned recently about the insurance system and how if you use your insurance to get counseling, you have to have a diagnosis in order to get it covered. And that is so crazy to me and I I can see so many problems because I've heard from other people who say, you know, I went to therapy just because and I had to get this diagnosis that wasn't even necessary and then this diagnosis affected my life insurance rates because suddenly people think I have you know, anxiety or this when I when I don't. And is there anything that we can do from an advocacy standpoint to help this? I know we have to kind of go through private practice and pay out of pocket. I paid my therapist out of pocket. I found them on openpathcollective.org, which is a site that provides affordable counseling just for transparency's sake. It was $50 a session to start. And then my most recent rate that I paid was $90. So, you know, but that was over three and a half years of, of of working together. So just so people kind of get an understanding of how much things cost, but is there something that we can do?
1: You know, um, not to deviate so much from kind of the, the therapeutic part of this conversation, but we need systemic change. And so we need to lobby. I'm a social worker as well, so I'm big on changing systems, right? Like we need to lobby, we need to talk to our local politicians. Um, I don't know how to change this law, to be honest, but, you know, we can shed a light on it and start making insurance companies more accountable for our health because that's part of why they exist, right? They're supposed to help us with our overall health. So I think, you know, just certain lobbying groups, um, making it known that this is a problem, like the collective needs to make some noise. And that's why I, I brought it up. This is my way, you know, of kind of advocacy in that. Yeah, it's not okay. But unfortunately, it is the system that we have right now. And if you fall under that, don't let it stop you, unfortunately, because ethically, we can't just give you a diagnosis that isn't uh, true or isn't close to true, <laughs> you know. And sometimes therapists will will turn someone down because of those issues. Like, hey, you don't really meet criteria for a diagnosis. Therefore, you might want to consider these other options. Or we will discuss with them. Listen, you don't know, meet full criteria for this diagnosis. But if you want me to use your insurance, I'm going to have to put down this diagnosis. This is what it means. And the, the client can make an informed decision about it. More often than not, it doesn't haunt the client. It doesn't have a negative, significant outcome on their life. But you're right. If you're going for a high security type of job where you need top security clearance, that might hurt you. Um, if you, yeah, If you're applying for life insurance, that might hurt you. So it's just something people need to be aware of. But ethical therapists will typically discuss that with you so you can make an informed decision about it.
0: Yeah, it's super important for people to be aware of. And I'm shocked that I just recently found this out, actually from a therapist I follow on Twitter. And I was like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. But I had no idea about it. And I could see how problematic it can be. But as we mentioned, we don't want this to hold people back from getting help. Because if your insurance covers it, that could be the most affordable way for you to get care. So you can figure that out and see if it's something right for you. Or, you know, you can try to pay out of pocket or you can go to openpathcollective.org. There are many different yeah. sliding scale options as well. So what should people actually know about therapy before going for the first time? What should people know
1: about the experience? That it's not as scary as it sounds. Yes, there is some discomfort. Is If it's your first time, it's normal to feel uncomfortable and anxious and a little self-conscious. But, you know, you can probably attest to this, Melanie, like after the first few minutes of talking, you find that it's just like talking to somebody, somebody else, except the, the, the advantages, we listen differently. And we also help you figure out what you came to therapy for, like, you don't have to know exactly what to tell us. You don't have to know what to say. You don't have to know exactly what the problem is. You can just show up and kind of think out loud. And our job is to help you explore what those underlying issues are. Our job is to help you get clear what your goals are, what you want to get out of it. Like we're in it together. It's a collaborative experience and you don't have to be anything other than who you are when you show up that day.
0: I love that and think that's so important because when I was going to therapy weekly and and very serious kind of in this recovery healing journey that I was on, I was just so happy that once a week I had 50 minutes carved out just for me. So, you know, Mm -hmm. some weeks were worse than others. Some weeks I had a whole (laughs) list of things that I I wrote out through the week. Like I have to talk to my therapist about this. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then some weeks I just kind of went in there like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about today, but I'm here creating space for myself. And that was so luxurious.
1: Absolutely. It is such a luxury. It is such a privilege to have the space for self-analysis, for reflection. And just thinking out loud is so therapeutic in and of itself, because you are kind of uncovering things as you go. You are letting your unconscious become conscious. And so sometimes just you thinking out loud, so you kind of answer your own dilemmas you know but without that space we don't do it intentionally that's why i love the art of therapies because that hour is so powerful oftentimes and even when you think there's no, i'm going in here with nothing you usually still come out or go away with something
0: definitely and i so enjoyed the moments in therapy where i would be talking and i would hear myself and then i would pause and i would yeah. have this breakthrough like oh my gosh suddenly this one <laughs> particular thing makes sense. And it's just because I'm talking out loud and kind of problem solving my way through it. And it's just such a beautiful experience when you get to do that. And then especially when you get to implement that new belief or that new action in your life and be able to heal and move forward.
1: Yes. Um, so empowering. So
0: <laughs> kind of mentioning different types of therapy. I mentioned that. I was in couples counseling a few years ago, which then turned to individual counseling and I've been in individual counseling before as well. Um, I believe it was under cognitive behavioral therapy, but what kind of different therapy options are there? There's CBT, there's couples counseling. I'm not an expert, so I would love to kind of hear some of the modalities from you.
1: Yeah, so the modalities are individual therapy, right? Couples therapy family therapy, group therapy, sometimes we say conjoint therapy. So that's when say you're an individual patient, but you keep talking about a recurring reoccurring problem with a particular person, usually a partner, or maybe a family member from time to time, we'll invite them over to do some conjoint sessions, not to be the therapist for you and this person, but more to kind of help you facilitate and resolve the issues, you know, uh, to the extent that that is possible so that's the modality. Intervention-wise, that's a whole new world. Like There's so many different therapeutic interventions. And as we've advanced over the last decade, and the more we know about the brain, the more funding there has been on research, the more these interventions have also grown with the knowledge, the scientific knowledge that we're, we're discovering. So CBT is one of the most widely used types of therapeutic interventions. It stands for cognitive behavioral therapy. And basically in simple terms, it believes that the primary source of our suffering is our narratives and our cognitions. So it's very focused on changing cognitions because when we change the way we think about something, the way we feel about it changes. And then when those two things change, then the way we move in the world and the choices that we make changes too. So there's a time and place for CBT. It's not, you know, with any therapeutic intervention, it's not one size fits all. So that's really important for people to understand that therapists are going to use different tools, depending on your personality and the issues that you are coming in with. There's not one way to help everybody. Um, There's DBT, dialectic behavioral therapy, and that's basically using a lot of mindfulness based techniques a lot of what we call distress tolerance. So for people who have a hard time regulating their emotions, DBT might be really appropriate. And then there's EMDR. I don't know if you've heard of that. I'm a certified EMDR practitioner. So it stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And basically the premise of EMDR is instead of just looking at cognitions or DBT, looking at mood regulation, the EMDR looks at problems from a trauma lens basically, instead of asking what's wrong with you, we're asking what happened to you? What kind of traumas, little traumas or big traumas have you experienced along the way? And how has that shaped who you are today, how you think, how you feel and the choices you're making in your life. And so we do what's called bilateral stimulation of the left and right side of the brain. I know that sounds scary, but it's really just through like eye movements that we do that or tapping, or we have uh, buzzers that we have you hold. And it, It buzzes from left to right hand, or if you're an auditory learner, then we also can use headphones. So I love it because it's a gentle way to work on trauma because as you know, I specialize in trauma and a lot of times, understandably so, people don't want to unpack severe traumatic experiences because it's really uncomfortable, scary, and often painful. So with EMDR, they found a way where people can actually work on these scary things sometimes without even having to verbalize what that is to the therapist. So we're kind of not inflaming the situation through this method. There's um, IFS, internal family systems. The premise of that is that we have parts and we have a core Y self and our parts. Usually if we don't keep them in check or, or we don't attune to them, they end up running the bus of our lives. So I love IFS work. That's one of my favorites, dis, uh, just self-disclosure there, because it's a really, people tend to grasp it and it's very non-pathologizing. And what I mean by that is that it doesn't make you feel like there's something wrong with you or, you know, it's v- not very shaming. So we could talk about a part that say that likes, I don't know, to eat, to binge eat, to eat a tub of ice cream when they're upset. So a lot of times people have a lot of shame admitting that in therapy, but once we start talking about it as a part, that defensiveness and that shame kind of falls away and you just start to kind of see it like, oh, there's this part who really doesn't want to feel uncomfortable emotions. So she'd rather just eat, you know, so it changes the way you're relating to yourself because you're able to kind of look at this part with a lot more compassion and curiosity. So that's IFS. I mean, we could go on and on and on. There's so many different types of Of therapy, like I said, but at the heart of it all, our goal as your therapist is to help you feel better and do better in life, right? We're not the expert. We're just here to guide you. And if your goal, you know, and, and when we do an intake, basically, that's the first appointment that's mental health evaluation is also what we would call it. Well, we're gonna ask you a ton of questions because we're assessing kind of like what the issues are and how we can help you. And for me, and I know many other therapists do this too as well, I ask them, what are your goals? What do you hope to get out of this? What would it look like? What would your life look like if you weren't experiencing these issues? And our job, is to help you meet those goals to the extent possible. So we're in your team, we're in your corner, we are like with you all the way. And it brings us so much joy when we witness you get there.
0: Yeah, I think it's so important to be able to have therapy that can really support you. And, you know, I think one of the major myths in therapy is that Therapists will tell you what to do, and they're going to have all the answers. That is totally not true. And I, re- I remember finding that out a few years ago. I was like, "Can you please just tell me what to do? Please tell me what to think. Like <laughs> I, I can't, like I can't do it." And she was just like, "I can't tell you what to do or what to think. I can, you know, kind of show you different options and different paths." And. You really do have to do the work on your own. And
1: it's active. honestly, it's an active process.
0: It's very active and it's a very emotionally draining pro tip. Try not to schedule anything after therapy if you can. (laughs) I remember, you know, just being like, I need to free up my Wednesday afternoons after this because there's just no way that I can go back to work. So if possible, I definitely recommend clearing your schedule after therapy because it can be very draining. So that's definitely a myth is that your therapist will give you all the answers. No, you're really doing the work. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz when Dorothy at the end You know, Glinda's like, you had the answers in you the whole entire time. And you're like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's like one of my favorite movies, by the way. Um, I just wanted to touch on something you talked about with EMDR. So I'm so fascinated by EMDR. And I've mentioned this book on the podcast before, but the book, The Body Keeps the Score. I remember learning in that book that people who have severe trauma, literally the part of their brain that creates language is cut off, but their visual cortex is just booming, which is why people have a lot of kind of memories and flashbacks of what has happened. And so I think EMDR is fascinating because you don't have to kind of relive this experience through language. And from a scientific standpoint, it it seems that that cortex in our brain isn't even available to us, which is why it makes so much sense when you talk to someone about severe trauma and and they just don't even have the words. And now it just makes so much sense to me.
1: And to do talk therapy on it could be really counterproductive, you know, to your point, because it doesn't make people feel good usually to keep talking about it. You know, there's a limit to the efficacy of talk therapy when we're dealing with trauma, because it is felt and stored in the body. Mm -hmm. So EMDR uses a lot of nonverbal communication, we, we we attune to the body, we look at body language, we look at how your face is changing. And all of that is information to us. Like, that's why it's so gentle in that way. Because it's so trauma sensitive. It's been literally life changing for as, as a lot of therapies are as well, you know, um, for a lot of people.
0: So what qualities should people look for when finding a quote, good therapist?
1: So the general qualities you want to look for is, do they have the training, education, and experience, that's really important, to help me with the issues I need support in, right? Because we don't all have the same kind of level of expertise. So that's really important. Do you feel safe? Do you have a therapist that creates safety for you? in the room, makes you feel empowered, confident, hopeful about the future. So a therapist who's non-shaming, non-pathologizing, not judgmental, which most of the time that is going to be your experience. Um, Somebody who is skilled at facilitating change, kind of like to your point, meaning without telling you what to do, you know, being clinically creative and getting you to think, empower you to make your own choices. Somebody who's who's attuned to your needs, somebody who's consistent. And what I mean by consistency too, is like just basic scheduling stuff gets back to you is responsive. There's not a whole lot of like administrative or billing issues. You want to look at that stuff because that also can get in the way of the safety and the trust in the therapeutic relationship if you have a, a therapist who's kind of like disorganized and all over the place. So outside of those things, you know, I think it's also important that your therapist is honest with you, like can challenge you and not just always validate, validate, validate. Um, that's not really what the therapeutic relationship is about. Like there are going to be things that maybe, you know, we're going to give you feedback and it may not be easy to hear, but that's a sign of a good caring therapist is they're going to take a risk even even if they know like, oh, I don't know if she's ready to hear this, but we need to talk about it. That's especially important in couples therapy as well. When, you know, therapists are really like trying to navigate both worlds and that moment when we know we're about to say something that could really like anger the other partner. Like you want a therapist who's, who has the courage and the, the resilience to kind of handle whatever's happening in session, regardless of how you feel about it. And you still come out feeling like, Oh, it was safe for me to express that. And I still feel like she's in my corner, even though I didn't like what she said. Does that make sense?
0: Totally. And You know, I love what you said about building trust because therapy is really like any other type of relationship where trust is the foundation and trust doesn't happen in one session. So I definitely recommend people try a therapist for at least a month before deciding that maybe this isn't right for them because it does take time. I saw my therapist for about a month and I was kind of on the fence, like, I don't know, because she was very kind of direct and yeah. to me I interpreted that as harsh. <laughs> but yeah. then after after the month I was like but yeah, I I don't need someone to just be a cheerleader and to like validate me. I need someone that can really help me through this and so I stuck with her and I'm so glad I did and I'm so glad I didn't just say, "Wow, she seems really harsh." Like I don't know. That was just me feeling discomfort because I just wanted, you know, nice sweet cream and coffee and sugar and <laughs> she was just like Here's your black espresso, like drink it straight. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, like this is this is a lot. And, you know, I love it. Therapy can be very difficult, but I realized that if I really needed to make a change in my life, I needed someone who can be direct with me, who can say, you know, maybe that's not the right answer, or maybe this way. And when you start to feel those feelings, I think it's really important to interrogate why you're feeling that way. Because like I said, my first thought was like, oh, I should probably find someone else. And then the second thought was, I'm being defensive because this hurts and I don't want to make a change. Luckily, I didn't let that dictate my decision. And we worked together for three and a half years and it was beautiful and amazing. And she saw yeah. me through so much. She saw yeah. me, you know, Ending a nine-year relationship, being single, getting on my feet again, now into healing and, and thriving, and that took a lot of of time and trust. And I'm so glad I didn't give up after that first month. So let's say someone is trying to find a new therapist; they've never done therapy before, um, and you know they take my advice that you should at least take a month. So what happens if someone after a month is like, "I don't"? No for vibing here. I don't know if I'm going to get it out of you. Is it okay for people to quote date therapists or move on or how does that work?
1: Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. So it totally is okay that if you have enough information and if you have enough data. And I'm going to explain that a little a little more later. To walk away or end the relationship or break up with your therapist, as we call it, because the the relationship is really the primary vehicle in which you're going to kind of, how do I put it? It is key, basically. Like, you're not going to get any results. You're not going to get the benefits of therapy if that relationship isn't intact. So sometimes it truly is. It's not a good match, as we call it. And you can fire your therapist, or you can just say, Hey, I don't think this is a good match. I'm going to move on and uh, talk to somebody else. And you know, your therapist might have different clinical opinions about that. They might say, Hey, why don't we talk about it one more time, and kind of figure out what's coming up for you. Because sometimes what's coming up for you kind of like your example there, Melanie, is not because of the therapist, but it's because of your own reactions and responses, or maybe it mimics certain patterns in life. So it's, it's not unusual to have what we call counter transference or transference, meaning you're having feelings about the therapist in a negative light because it is reminding you unconsciously of other dynamics you've had with other people, but it may not necessarily be accurate. So at any rate, if you're not sure and it's getting in the way of you being open and honest, that's not your person. Go and look for the therapist that's going to create that safety for you so you can do that or you can do the work. Secondly, I highly, highly, highly encourage people to tell their therapist, no matter how early in the process you are of therapy, if something's not gelling, check it out. Check it out. I know it's really daunting or it seems really scary to kind of challenge your therapist, But, you know, you don't have to be confrontational. You can be like kind of in your situation, Eleni, you could be like, you know, I'm having these feelings and I'm wondering how much of this is my stuff and how much of this is like, because maybe I'm not liking your style. Like just that alone can spark a deep conversation about what's happening. But it's really important that, you know, if you're assertive enough, if you feel safe enough to do it, to have bring it back to the therapy room and talk about it because all of that work, believe it or not, actually counts towards your healing and empowerment. And we welcome that. Most therapists are like, yeah, this is great. You know, she's talking about her discomfort. She's telling me she doesn't like me. Like, of course, there's a part of us that like don't like that. But, you know, if we're in our wise healthy self. We welcome that because that means you're finding your voice. That means you're learning how to solve conflict in a healthy way. That means you can trust yourself. Like There's so many great things that that symbolizes to us when you start talking to us about your difficulties in session. Because what we say is how you function in the room is usually how you function outside of the room. So if you're not being honest with us and you're not asserting yourself, that's a concern to me as your therapist, because I want you to be able to take care of yourself outside of the room. So speak up, speak up. You're not going to devastate us. We are trained to deal with all of that. And if you have a therapist who can't handle that who, or kind of makes you feel worse, then that's an indication that that maybe you're right about the safety piece, that maybe that isn't a safe place for you.
0: Thank you so much for sharing. I really appreciate that and sharing that you can break up with your therapist at any time and it's totally okay. And you actually kind of hit on this word that really kind of brought some um, ideas to me about, you know, this word honesty. So I know actually a a few people. And I know in my own instances where you feel like you don't want to be honest with your therapist about this very big issue in your life, because maybe you're going to feel bad, like, oh my gosh, I I messed up and I don't want to tell them. Or there's this huge trauma in my life from my past that I'm not willing to talk about. Or like, I've heard that, you know, therapists find out five years later that someone had an addiction and they're like, you never told me that. Like, what is the role of honesty? And like, how do you feel about if people five years later said, I struggled with an addiction or someone in my family died by suicide and and you never knew any of that?
1: I really don't. Take that personally at all. I mean, the more we know, the sooner we know is obviously more beneficial for our work together and for you. Because remember, this is your space. This is for you. We're here to serve you, you know? So the more information we have, the better. But it's not uncommon that people, you know, wait until later to drop those kind of bombs. And it's okay. It's okay. Because that means that's when you're finally ready. You know, that's, that's what that could mean. Secondly, there must have been a part that was really ashamed or worried about talking about it. Because once you spill the beans, once you tell us, now you've opened a whole new can of worms. Because most of us are going to want to go there and kind of dig that up a little bit but you have power and choice in therapy. You, have, you can have boundaries. We don't push. We don't force you to talk about things you're not ready to talk about. We will encourage, we will invite, but you get to have some of those boundaries. And so if it's five years later that you tell me, that's totally fine because it's not about my timeline. It's about when you're ready and when you feel safe enough to do the work on that particular issue. The one thing I find people kind of save the best for last is sexual abuse. You know, so we'll work on things and this and that, and they come in for this. Mm, And then three, four, five years later, it's like, oh, and by the way, I'm ready to, to talk about or acknowledge my sexual abuse and work on that. And it's not right or wrong. It really is about when are you ready? And we're here for you whenever that is. There's no kind of hard and fast rules about how it should go.
0: Yes, I think that's so important to consider that the more honest you are, the deeper healing you can have and address things faster. But there's, you know, there are no rules that you have to share one thing, you have to share this, or or, or any timelines. I think that's really important for people to realize that you know it, it's really for you, and if you can acknowledge that and be honest. You know, that is a beautiful thing. But as you mentioned, there are no timelines and that you don't need to feel
1: afraid. Right, and that's not really always because you're being dishonest, right? But sometimes it's because it's not in your awareness yet or there's too much stuff going on in your present life that there isn't enough space for some of this stuff to come up or you're just not ready. Like maybe your denial system is still so powerful. You're not even, you know, thinking like this is a a big problem. The beauty of having a therapist is sometimes we all have blind spots, as I call them. And we're here to help you see that, like, because the way you may be conceptualizing something in your life, you may not be realizing like, oh, that's right. Oh, I didn't, I never, I never looked at it that way. I never thought like that that was actually impacting my life over here. I thought it was just over here. So we give you that feedback, and then you do what you want with it, right? But we are there to kind of give you a fuller perspective of what's happening and different options, different ways to navigate it.
0: Totally. And I love what you mentioned earlier about, you know, kind of opening up a can of worms, because I've definitely had this experience in my life where it's like, I've learned the hard lesson that if you're going to open a can of worms, you have to be willing to see what's inside of it. (laughs) And sometimes you see what's inside of it and you're like, Oh my gosh, I wish I didn't open that. Like I have to deal with that now.
1: I shut that lid, yeah. So
0: definitely know that that if you're opening up a can of worms, you have to be willing to see what's inside it and deal with whatever happens after that. So act and speak accordingly to, you know, your timeline, your healing processes, your thoughts. So Let's say someone wants to book a therapist, they want to get started with therapy, where should people even begin to look for counseling? I know a lot of people ask me, where can I find counseling? I have resources on my website, but I'd love to hear from you.
1: Yeah, so there's so many different places now. And I'm sure there's a lot I probably don't even really know about anymore, uh, since I'm not in the business of, you know, searching therapists. And, but the first place to start if you have insurance is your insurance company because they can help you find or tailor your search based on what you need. So if you wanted somebody female within you know, 10 miles of a particular zip code and you wanted somebody who specializes in this and that, they have the capacity to do a specific type of search for you and they give you a list. And then you can Google the therapist that they give you because most therapists now have their own website and then you can make an informed decision from that. Psychology today is still pretty reliable uh, source of therapy. And then, of course, there's BetterHelp, Talkspace. That's if you want to do telehealth and see their therapists. Um, there's local directories as well, depending on your county and your city. Like in San Diego, we have a, few, a couple of local directories of just therapists in San Diego. So thank God for Google. You could just Google that. Local therapists in my area. And then there's going to be a lot of different resources that'll pop up. Um, word of mouth is really, really powerful. Like, ask your friends and your family members, the ones that are doing really well, especially. Ask them, "Hey, have you done some work?" <laughs> That's what I tell. Yeah. I tell my friends about. Like, I love it. They sound like they've had some work done. I love it.
0: <laughs> I, love, I love it. All right? in mind, baby. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So ask your friends and family. My business, my practice was largely grown from word of mouth, you know?
0: Yes. Word of mouth is so powerful and a great way to find out recommendations from people that you trust.
1: hmm hmm Yeah. But as far as like big name organizations, I, I don't really have a lot of uh, resources for that, unfortunately. You can also call kind of your local, um, I know in San Diego, we have like a local crisis line And they are also a one-stop shop for all forms of uh, types of resources in the county. So you could start there. But the internet really, with the internet being so accessible, like you're going to find something.
0: Yeah, there are so many resources. And as I recommended, I love openpathcollective.org. That's how I found my therapist. You pay a one-time membership fee. I think it might be $60 at this point when I started years ago. I think it was $50. And then I believe the sessions are between $30 and $50 a session. When I started, it was $50 because it was couples counseling. And then, you know, the rates went up from there. But you can definitely look at that at a starting point. And and then also, I want to recommend for people, the crisis text line is free. You can text HOME to 741-741 if you're feeling really in crisis at this moment. And
1: Is that in LA, that number?
0: Text line is national.
1: Oh,
0: okay. Great. Yeah. It's national. So people can text home to 741, 741. And I've used the service Mm -hmm. once. And the great thing about the crisis text line is it's not a suicide hotline. So you don't have to feel suicidal. Suicidal. And I think a lot of people feel like they can't get help because they're like, oh, I'm not suicidal. But being in crisis can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So- you know let's say a crisis right now is you're in recovery and you really want a drink or you want to abuse because of the pandemic crisis text line would be a great Love resource it. to reach out to right now so you know kind of based on all of this a big problem that people have with counseling is the cost so can you give us kind of an idea like what kind of cost should people be looking for like what what's the average i know it's a huge range but you know kind of what are the average rates for counseling
1: So the usual and customary rates, as we call them, are typically, at least in San Diego, L.A. area, California, you can still get $90 all the way up to $250, $275. So that's a wide range, and it depends on the person's specialty area and kind of their own philosophies around what to charge people, you know, but that's the general range. That's why your uh, resource that you shared with everyone, I think is phenomenal. If you can get quality therapy for $30 to $50, or now it's $90, that's still really below the standard rate. And then in New York, if you're in New York, I heard you're not going to get like a $90 session. I mean, it's so normalized, you know, in New York, uh, paying out of pocket for therapy that you can go anywhere from two to three, probably higher depending on who you're seeing and how prominent they are. So unfortunately, the cost is a major barrier for a lot of people. It is a sacrifice. If you're in that boat, it is an investment, you know, but think about and we're not there yet, right? As far as the systemic changes, as we talked about that need to happen. But if you think about like how much would it cost for you to go out to dinner or go to a spa or get your hair done, and they're really expensive services as well. If you think about it that way and look at the return on your investment, you know what you're going to get out of paying this much money, the return of good therapy is literally life changing and it's priceless.
0: Definitely. It's life changing and life altering. And I will say that with the caveat that obviously you have to do the work. Therapy is life changing when you show up and you're willing to do the work. I mean, my old therapist will tell you for the first year and a half, I was just like a mess. Not making any progress. I kept making the same mistakes again and again and again. I felt stuck. And then finally, like I hit a breakthrough point where I started doing different things. I started implementing different coping mechanisms. And then the last two years we worked together, she was just like, Oh my gosh, you have changed so much and you're so different. And we were both just shocked at the changes that I was able to make. And it was so beautiful to watch. And I think of this person coming in to couples counseling feeling broken and scared and alone and not sure. And then I look at myself now who I recently completed my relationship with my therapist because I've been doing really well. And I honestly didn't have much to talk about in the past couple of sessions. So actually that leads me to my next question is when do people know that their kind of time in therapy is over?
1: Yeah. So a good indication is have you, you know, met your goals, the initial goals you went in there for, and what are you now going to therapy for? Right? Some people don't want to completely stop. They just want to do like maintenance, like once every four, once every six weeks. And some people, and if it's clinically appropriate, I say, yes, let's keep doing that. But sometimes, you know, if they're really, if you're trying to fill the hour with stuff to talk about, and you're just looking for new problems, right? And it's not, these problems are really not significantly affecting your life. That's a good time to not be in therapy you know, and this is a good time to kind of what I say to the people I support is this is the time to practice everything you've learned in the last two, two, three years or whatever, and just kind of like, see how life is, you know, I'm always here. We're like car mechanics. We're always here for maintenance. (laughs) You can always bring your car in kind of thing, right? But if there's no problem, there's nothing for us to really fix. And it's good for you to just um, kind of learn to live your life without, without the training wheels. That's the ultimate test. So if you're, yeah, if you're not finding any others, if you're, if you're looking for things to talk about and you're both just kind of searching for new problems and you're really stable, you're doing well, that's the time.
0: Oh, that is great. And that was definitely my situation just for a couple of weeks to like a month. I was just feeling like I was more catching up with a friend and dealing with any issues. And when I brought it up, she agreed that, yeah, you don't, you don't really need me anymore. And so, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, I think that maybe it's time. And, you know, she also kind of echoed what you said. And she's like, I'm always here. Like if you need kind of a maintenance call because something stressful is going on, I'll be here. And, you know, I'll be honest. I was so nervous. I, I ended therapy in the beginning of September. So almost two months ago now I was so nervous. Cause it's like, I was going consistently for three and a half years. And I was like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? Like, maybe I think I'm ready, but I'm not really ready. And then I've actually been great. And you know, I've been going on walks every morning. I've been reading every morning before looking at social media. I've been really trying to keep my mental health hygiene and routine in place, especially without her. And something that she told me, which I really loved, that she was like, even though we're not seeing each other, really try to keep that hour for yourself, you know, every Mm -hmm. week. And it's so beautiful. And I'm so happy that I had all of this work in three and a half years and that now that it's been two months without that I still feel okay, but I'm also comforted knowing that she's always there. And we have obviously an established relationship after yes. three and a half years. And I think it's really important to kind of tell people is that therapy doesn't have to be forever. Obviously, if you want day-to-day maintenance all the time, of course, but if you have a specific goal, I mean, obviously my reason for entering therapy a while ago was because of a couple's counseling issue. Clearly, you know, I was single and then now I'm in a different relationship that's healthy. And so the initial problem had resolved itself. And so I was like, we were dealing with these other issues that came after that because a lot of times after breakups and divorces, you know, all these other issues that were kind of in the background come to light as well. And you're, you're forced to kind of deal with all those things, but you can definitely find a stopping point And be able to move on as well.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's kind of like a a revolving door. If you think about that, like the first time you go in, you probably, you know, are working on a ton of issues or significant issues, especially if it's your first time and then you take a break and then usually people come back, not always, but you know, a significant amount of people come back because there's a new life event, there's a milestone, there's a tragedy that happened and you come back in and kind of, you get what you need for that particular issue. And then you stop again and then you come back in for something else. Like that is the life cycle, you know, cause it's, I heard this quote and I, I wish I could credit her and this was around meditation, but I think we can apply it to therapy. You know, she said the goal in life isn't to be a good meditator. The goal of meditation is so you could kind of be great at your life, right? that's the same thing with like therapy. Like the goal isn't to be there and be a great client. It's about you feeling good about yourself and your life and kind of living your your purpose outside of the room. And that brings us great joy.
0: Yes, that is so important. Living your life on purpose. And I think therapy can really help you live with yourself because we're all kind of stuck in our own thoughts and our own bodies every single day. So you want to be able to live with your thoughts. You want to be able to live with the actions and the choices you make and be able to like yourself, be able to love yourself, be able to be happy, be able to make healthier decisions than you have in the past. And that's why I'm such a proponent of therapy. And I'm so appreciative of you coming on this episode and sharing all of your knowledge. So where can people find
1: you? So they can find me at transcendtherapyca.com, transcendtherapyca.com. And you can also find me on Instagram, uh, Transcend Therapy Inc. Then we also have a podcast called Get Mental. And there's an Instagram page as well for that Get Mental podcast. But you can listen to that anywhere you listen to your podcast. And we talk about all things mental health. And our hashtag is we all have issues because at the end of the day, that's, what it means to be human and alive. (laughs) You know, we're all a work in progress, right? It's not a we're not a finished product, but it is about awareness and it's about knowing that, oh, I have other coping skills that I can use to deal with this particular issue. You know? And then a Facebook group is uh, get mental. But yeah, the easiest way is transcendtherapyca.com.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much for being
1: on the show you're very welcome. My honor. I really appreciate you being so passionate about this subject. Thank you so much from one therapist. And I hope I'm sure all many people in my community are just ever so grateful for, for you and people like you. So thank you. Mm, Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the mental health and wealth show. Want more content and support? Sign up for the mental hump newsletter and get our free mental health and money inventory worksheet. You can sign up at mentalhealthandwealth.com and also check out our other blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, we host a Mental Health and Wealth Hangout every other Thursday over Zoom at 5 p.m. Pacific to chat about all things money and mental health. The best part, it is free. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review. And you can also support me at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.